Hey, Zach. Yes. So I was, I was just actually practicing a moment ago, um, and I thought about maybe, maybe this. Here's our first intro track. You ready? Yeah, hit me, hit me. <clears throat> Do the intro. Talk over it. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Dipped in Tone, your place for guitar playing, talking, shooting the tone shit. Uh, I'm your other host. Oh, God, I can't talk in place. <laughs> there it is, everyone. You know, it's uh, your intro. It, it's better than a lot of podcast intros. I'll just say that it's better hey. than using like one of the canned things from GarageBand. It's okay. Here's here's a pet peeve of mine, um, mm. and and no 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 digs on any of our uh, our other podcasting um, cousins here in the podcasting guitar world, but the uh, when people use like the pseudo sexy woman voiceover voice thing at the beginning of their podcast. I, it's I don't listen to enough podcasts to know all the. It's a common uh, thing across common across podcasts of all shapes and sizes and and brands. Some some people just really love that like woman voiceover thing. Who's that woman? They got on they got on Fiverr and found the like the, <laughs> you know someone with a really nice voiceover thing for like five or ten bucks. And- yeah. So uh, so there it is, everyone. Dipped in tone, episode twenty six. 26. Wow. Hey, there's an idea. We could get on uh, Fiverr and get, that could be an episode like we, because you always see that like the I paid up to $3,000 for these different tracks. We could have like a we could have one of those sort of episodes. That was a YouTube theme that that I yeah, I saw going around. It's like I paid $5 for this drum track. What does it sound like? Well, probably yeah. sounds bad. Paid $5. You know, for it. I get sucked into those pretty bad. <laughs> uh, I've been watching, I've, because I've been trying to, uh, so I'll just start with my week. So All right. I'm just going to jump Go ahead, on it. Fine. And by the way, I'm Zach. I oh, yeah. say that. Oh, yeah. I'm Rhett, by know. the way. Yeah. Hey, everyone, if you're new here, if you're watching on YouTube, subscribe. We're almost at 5,000 subs. Push us over the like, over the hill, you guys. Just join us. Just do We're it. We're not going to bother you. Yeah. We won't. We won't be like, hey, did you watch this new video? We we barely even post things. <laughs> We're not going to spam you because we barely even post. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Nothing there. Yeah. So um, because I've been trying to get into more like the heavier side of guitar, get back into that because, you know, I went through that phase as a teenager okay. where I had the, I just did the chugs. But I've been watching a lot of like heavier music YouTube youtuber things and there's been there's there's one guy that he pays for drummers on fivers and on fivers fivers on the fivers <laughs> on the fivers he pays for for drummers to like do a, tr- a drum track for like a metal song and it's really interesting and kind of i don't know i enjoy that sort of thing well hey like, man what, what will the next guy do whatever uh whatever floats your skirt as they say <laughs> as my family uh, has said for generations Whatever, uh, whatever will get that dog to hunt. Whatever floats your bird. Whatever floats your bird. Um, that sounds gross. How was your week? It was good. It was good. I uh, getting ready to launch the new website, the new teaching site, and everything. Actually, by the time this goes live, that'll be that'll be uh, up. So, oh yeah, um, all my new video courses are on, or all my video courses are on a new platform. All my stuff 
the website's been rebuilt. You you know about that. You've been helping us out with that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I guess public service announcement. If any of you out there have bought one of my courses, um, they now exist on a new website. And so uh, you'll still have access to them and everything. But, um, yeah, we've been working on that and then just doing videos, man, just, you know, doing the thing. Um, got my new production assistant coming in for the first time today. See how that goes. Pretty yeah. excited about it. That and, is exciting. Uh, everyone in the in the Discord, and by everyone I mean one person, was asking for a dog update. Penny's doing well. She's growing crazy fast. Oh yeah, having an issue with the biting. She's a little uh, little chompy, but she's teething really bad right now. And uh, the other thing too, uh, you know this with Frazier, uh, there th- this dog is crazy smart. She's yeah, very easy to train. Um, which is great. The downside is when she gets bored and we're not like exercising her or stimulating her enough, she goes totally just off the rails and nuts. So we have to we have to, to hang her out. But her studio dog training is going well. Took her over to Rick Beato's yesterday. We were working on a video and she was a little angel the whole time running around there, Rick's studio. She was great. It's a, it's a great breed. And yeah, like I don't think we could have managed without having the fenced in backyard just to be like, Go run. And and it's crazy. So we've been Nashville was snowed in. Uh and I haven't I haven't left the house since like Sunday. So, you know, almost a week. And Is that not uh, normal for you though? Well, I mean, I, I at least go to the post office, you know? It's like just Burn. something. Burn, dude. Oh. oh man. Yeah. Uh but the snow like came in hard for us. I mean, it doesn't snow like like this. I know. Tennessee. I'm actually Tilly and I are really jealous that you guys got all this. Snow. Uh, well, there's like there's snow on top of like a couple inches of ice, so that's that's the rough part. But we let Fraser out, and he's like he loves it. He'll just like root his head in the snow, <laughs> and it's it, he'll cut. He you know he has that that poodle fur, and so he's just like caked in snow, and it's just like <laughs> wow, a nightmare. But he's so happy. So wow. Anyway, um, that's great. So do you want to just get into dipping a rig? Yeah, well, so today's topic, we should we should address the topic first. So here's what we're uh, going to okay. do today. Here's what we're going to do. Shout out to the patrons, okay? Our wonderful supporters. They're hanging out in the Discord server right now. They're watching us live. If you'd like to watch us live while we record, uh, you can join our Patreon starting at $2 a month. Starting at just $2 a month, you'll get access to the uh, Patreon chat, and you'll be able to watch us live. And what we're going to do, do today is uh, answer questions live from the patrons in the chat. And we had a little talk with them before we started. We were like, guys, listen, this one's on you, okay? (laughs) Because the title of this episode, the theme of this episode is going to come from you guys. So if it's lame, this is not on us. That's right. We've washed our hands of this. And uh, there's going to be a lot of questions. So if you have something that is, is good and we've missed it, repeat it. Yeah, uh, but don't spam the chat. To to, to a, yeah, to a degree. <laughs> <laughs> Exercise uh, uh, some discretion in the chat. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's what we're doing today. All right, let's uh, let's dip dip a rig here. Okay, so I'm going to drop them into the chat here. So this is from Mr. Ethan Johnson, and he has dropping into the chat. He has a 2020 Squire Classic Vibe Jazzmaster with upgraded electronics, Duncan Antiquities. Awesome. Uh, 2012 Les Paul, uh, Les Paul Special um, says it's all stock. A Basebreaker 45, 2x12, 
recently purchased a Two Notes Captor X. Nice. And then his pedal board is um, JHS 3 Series Fuzz, Analog Man Prince of Tone, Angry Charlie, 3 Series Chorus, Canyon Delay from Electro Harmonics, Fender Traverb, and a Walrus Slow. 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 And... Um, he said, P.S., do you ever feel weird about having too many of one brand pedal company on your board? I don't. <laughs> but um, but this is like, this is a killer setup. This is great. Really, really great, you guys. All right, so let's start with uh, with guitars here. So second week in a row for the Jazzmaster. Yeah. Uh, and this is, like last week's Jazzmaster, this is done, well, hold on. Does this have the rhythm treble switch situation going on up top? I can't yeah, see. yeah, it's gonna have the little um, the little toggle and then the rollers. They're hard to see because it's yeah, okay. they're, they're black, but they're okay. on there. So other that's the only thing about the Jazzmaster that I just don't dig. But yeah, you can just leave it disengaged. It's fine. Um, love that. And then I mean, come on, man, special single cut. Like that's uh, what else do you need? P nineties. I mean, you're you're kind of doubling up. Jazzmaster pickups are not P90s. They are something different. Yeah, totally but, different. You know, you got the, the single coil thing going on pretty hard. Um, yeah, what do you think guitar-wise? Man, I think this is great. And he does mention that he's working on finding like his his the right humbucker guitar. Mm. But, I mean, really, you know, a P90 kind of, it's skirting the line. Totally. Well, a PAF. I mean, a PAF is essentially... You know, they jumped off of the P90. They use the P90 as a jumping off point, I guess I should say, for designing the PAF. So it does yeah. have a good PAF, I think, does have uh, an air of P90 about it. It does. It really does. Um, but both these guitars are cool. I'm not a huge fan of Jazzmasters, but, you know, this one looks like he's got the Mustang bridge on it. I don't know if they came with that. They might have. But, you know, that's an improvement over the little threaded barrel saddles because if you've ever played one of those with with that sort of saddle you just push the string and it goes yep and it it's yep. a nightmare but you know that that covers a lot of ground sonically i think um yeah you got the two yeah. scale links covered like really really killer setup the uh the amp the bass breaker i've not played that one um, so the bass breaker series was fairly short lived you know they made um a, a variety of amps under that moniker and some cabs and, too yeah but the bass breaker 45 is probably the closest thing that fender has made to a more marshall style derivative amp and it's essentially like a basement jtm sort of thing and they're they're loud and they sound pretty good like i mean i i remember playing them when they first came out and i love the look of them i think they look super sexy yeah they're really cool when we were out with um when we did the run with with Gary Clark Jr. a couple of years ago, Zapata, friend of the show, friend of the pod, um, his rig was fantastic. It was <clears throat> he had two um, hundred watt plexis, but he was only running one. One was a backup, but he had it set clean, uh, like just loud and clean. And then he was running. He had a Fender reverb tank in there somewhere, and then his pedal boards and everything, and then. His cab situation on stage was two bass breaker, I think 115 cabinets huh. he was running the Marshall into, and it sounded biblical. That's interesting. Um, yeah, they trying to find some more details on Fender's website. I think the series is discontinued. Um, 
Yeah, it's it's pretty looks like a pretty normal setup with a master volume essentially. Yep. Um but the the most popular amps that they made in this range were the smaller ones. They made like a 15 and a 30, which were kind of like a more aggressive version of a Blues Junior and I I kind of prefer them to the sure. Blues Junior honestly. But yeah, these are cool and actually they the one that I wish I'd always wish I'd bought one uh the, the they made one that was an 18/30 watt and it was kind of wow. like a a brown face and an 18 watt Marshall and uh, I should, I should have bought one cause they were, they're just wicked. They were just really loud. You know? Yeah. Right. Right. So. Pedal board. Homemade pedal board. I dig it. This is really nice, man. Yeah. Like, it's really, really cool. Like you could, you could, if you wanted to, you know, start a business and get completely overwhelmed um, by running a business yourself, you could start a business selling pedal boards like this. This is yeah. this is a really nice, like genuinely well-made, uh, homemade wooden pedal board. I love the stain on it. Yeah. Um, I like the fact that you've got the slots to run your power and your cabling, kind of keep it clean, keep it manageable. Really, really cool board, man. Yeah, so you probably have more experience with all the three series uh, mm-hmm. than I do. Um I think I did play the chorus once at Eastside Music here in Nashville, but I haven't played the fuzz. What, what, are, what are your opinions on those? The fuzz is killer. So I did a live stream on my second channel a couple weeks ago where I just played five uh, fuzzes that I haven't talked about much on my on my channel. Um, mm-hmm. And the three series fuzz was on there. And aside from the Golden Fleece, okay, <laughs> I think the three series fuzz is a really great fuzz to start with because it'll cover a lot of ground. Um, Specifically with that bias control on there, mm-hmm. it there's a wide range from, and here's what I appreciate about it. Like they went all the way on that control to the point of it's not really even usable. Like if you turn that bias control all the way to the right, it doesn't really, I mean, it gates so hard that it's, it's almost not even playable, but I appreciate that they did that, that they gave you the option to do that. Um, the fat switch on there is, is really, really great. It, it's a really solid first fuzz option for a lot of people out there who are maybe fuzz curious, but are, <laughs> are not sure. Um, yeah, it's cool, man. I, I think it's really, really good. The chorus, same way. Like if you just, if you want, um, here's, what's great about the three series stuff, especially the modulation stuff. It's like, okay, I want a chorus because occasionally I want the one chorus sound and that's all I need. Three series. Go spend a hundred bucks on it. Sounds great. Put on your board. Um, yeah, I think they're cool. Yeah, I mean, this board is covering pretty much all the bases. I mean, the only thing that's not there is a more mid-forward overdrive. But even with the, I mean, you could use the angry Charlie, turn the gain back, push the mids, and kind of get to that. I mean, not not exactly. Well, yeah, the angry Charlie is kind of a JTM 45 in a box, right? That's It's a little that. higher gain than that. Uh but you got the three band EQ there too. I think that's what it is. It, I can't. The, Josh has so many different variations yeah, yeah. of bass, middle, and treble. Okay, yeah. And that bass breaker, if it is Marshall esque, it's already somewhat of a mid forward. That's true. Amp. Yeah, yeah. You don't need you don't need more mids necessarily. Um, Canyon is cool. Canyon's really cool. I love that the electro harmonics stuff, man. I, I really, really, I, I love that company. Man, they they release a pedal like a week. It's crazy, like. dude. Yeah, it's crazy. But they do some crazy cool stuff. Um, so salute the SLO. I've never played. 
I've never played it either. I know, you know, Mr. Peter, Peter Honore is a big fan of that. He uses it a lot. And it does sound good, you know, in all the videos I've heard of it. But the cool thing about this setup is that you're, you pretty much have it all covered, you know? It's yeah. like, and uh, there's room to grow on this board. Right. Which is, that's, that's important. Lovely. Lovely. <laughs> hey, man, this is a great rig. Great rig. I'm going to give it, um, I'm going to give it 8.7. Out of ten shoals, dude, don't don't you judge my, uh, don't you judge me for judging. I'm not. I'm not. Okay. Uh, for me, I think I want to give it. I want to give it a seven and a half. Uh, that's still that's still a great grade in my opinion. But I would got to get some some humbuckers happening. Hey, and, and and while we're talking about this, sorry to cut you off, but somebody in the chat, somebody, one of our patrons here, take it on yourself. Whoever it was that organized the drinking game, um. I'm going to task you with keeping track. We need like a Google Doc of rigs <laughs> and our scores for rigs. So go back through all 25 episodes so far that we've dipped rigs, and uh, that'd be great. <laughs> all right, continue. Perfect. Yeah, well, I think that's it. I think that's it. And and uh, Rhett and I were talking before we started recording. When you guys send us your rigs for dipping, we don't mean send us your entire collection of <laughs> stuff. Send us... <laughs> What you would take to a gig. So maybe a handful of guitars, your pedal board, and your your go-to amp. Or if you have two amps, sure. But like literally, we've we've had people email everything, which is awesome. <laughs> which and it's is cool great. to see. Yeah, it's awesome. But, but it's like we can't talk about all of the stuff that you own. We need <laughs> yeah. a rig. Yeah, just a more concise, like you have a bar gig in a week. What are you taking? Yeah, yeah, that's that's the that's the thing. That's what we're doing. Um, I play bass. Consider it done. Also, I'll do one for shill of the week. Love that. Love that. Boom. Love that. Okay, cool. Well, there you go, everyone. If you want to submit your rig to be dipped on next week's episode, you can uh, email us at the email linked down below. You do have to be a patron to be dipped. So there's that. But, but it's a low barrier to entry, I guess. <laughs> it's a very low barrier to entry. All right, chat, I get your know. questions coming in. I've so, got the first one lined up, but we need uh, we need more questions. Uh, I'll I'll start looking for the the next one. So you, so I and then what we'll do, Zach, is just post them in the uh, the private chat here on on stream streamyards. Okay. Um, so the first one we have is from Marshall today in the chat. Marshall asks, best slash slash worst guitar playing featured in movies: Crossroads, Back to the Future, Roadhouse, etc. That's a good question. Yeah, um, the best. I mean, Crossroads is pretty sick. Do you know I've never seen Crossroads? Well, I've never seen Roadhouse, so... I haven't uh, seen Roadhouse either. Oh, well, sh <laughs> Well, I mean, Crossroads... Maybe this isn't a good okay. question for us. So, uh, in the chat, you'll have to correct me, but I think it's Ry Cooter. That's, yeah. Who's doing the playing in Crossroads? Ry Cooter does the, the soundtrack, and then, obviously, Steve Vai was in it. Right, uh -huh. and he's doing all the playing for Ralph Macchio, I think. Right. Um but it's a fun movie, you know, but back to the future. It's like, does it get any better than that? You know? Well, I mean, obviously, obviously, uh, yeah. I mean, it's a classic, man. And public service announcement. Evidently, uh, Gibson is looking for that red 355 and they're like offering a reward for it or something. They're like, I don't know how much it is, but it's a lot of money because they want to find it and put it in their um, museum or whatever they're building in Nashville there. So if you know where that red 355 is from Back to the Future, you could be uh, could make yourself a little cash. Um, yeah. What else? I mean, 
I was going to say, this isn't a movie per se. It's a documentary, but I really loved It Might Get Loud. Um, yeah, I think that's kind of cheating. <laughs> all right, well, fine. Whatever. We won't talk about that one. Um, what other? Oh, August Rush. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that's some good guitar playing. Right? I, the, okay, but here's the thing. How are we judging this? Because the soundtrack to August Rush, Khaki King, Fantastic. Right. I love the soundtrack. And then also um, Jonathan Reese Myers did a song for that movie that I thought was good too. But are we just talking about the actual like playing in the movie? Because that was a little like having, you know, what was yeah. his name? Just slapping at the guitar the whole time. Like that was a yeah. little weird. Um, so that's kind of a juxtaposition because I love the soundtrack to that, but the playing was a little, was a little iffy. Um, I yeah, think. I, man, I it's just it's so hard to think. Like the thing about movies that really pulls me out of it is when you like even in Back to the Future, like that guitar slightly pulls me out because I'm like that didn't exist yet. Right. And so when those things happen cuz what was that um the Gary Busey um Buddy Holly movie? Did you ever I see that? Gary Busey. I did not see that. Oh man, he's like playing like a duo sonic or he's playing something that's like of the era and it's like oh that's kind of cool and then like other things happen it's like that's not accurate and it's like those sort of things like pull me out but um Ooh, what about a star is born have you seen that the remake that with uh lady gaga and bradley cooper no color me disinterested i'm not dude i it's a great movie man it's great okay it's a remake right but i thought it was really well done i thought the soundtrack was great i love the song lady gaga did for it and um I think the playing in the movie is great. Bradley Cooper's like, you know, you can kind of tell he doesn't really know what he's doing. But Lucas Nelson right. is is in that, uh, mm -hmm. Willie's son. And I think he, like, the soundtrack that movie is great. I know, I think Jason Isbell wrote for it. Lucas Nelson wrote for it. Lady Gaga was on it. It's a it's a pretty, pretty heavy hitter, like, music movie. I think it's great. Um, I think you should watch it, personally. <sighs> I guess. I don't know. I don't know. What was your reservation behind it? I just, I just don't care. I don't know. Like, Such a curmudgeon. I, I am. I am. There's a lot of movies that like people talk about, and I'm like, I just don't really want to watch it. <laughs> like, it's good though. It's a good movie. Well, the performances that, are great. Sure the fine. acting is great. <clears throat> the dialogue is great. What was that movie with? Ah, um, oh, man. Uh, Jeff Bridges, where he's play, he plays like the washed oh, up country star. Uh, uh, wild, uh, wild crazy heart? horse, wild Cra horse, crazy heart, crazy heart, wild crazy, wild crazy heart horse. Man, crazy heart. Yeah, yeah. That, that was that was a great movie. Yeah, I like that movie. That movie was the, the one of the first times. Uh, man, what a tangent we're going on. But one of the first times um, I ever watch someone experience a panic attack like i had felt when he when he loses the kid in the mall oh and it has yeah. the camera that's like fixed to his chest and it's like following yes. his face and it's like oh my god i had to pause it i was like this is too much dude <laughs> but isn't that great when a movie does that to you oh yeah yeah like that's the sign of a great film when when you're just like oh my god okay i got i need a minute because this is wow that's yep. great filmmaking and jeff bridges is a hell of a musician too yeah that, that's uh, there's a great great music movie wasn't it um, uh, Tim Marcus? Was he playing with Jeff Bridges from Milkman? No idea. I know there's some kind of connection there. I've heard him on a podcast. Uh, Tim Marcus from Milkman Amps, great pedal steel player. Um, 
I, I believe he was either playing with Jeff Bridges or they were on a gig together sometime. Anyways. Um, ever thought of making music for TV or movies? Yeah, I answered this in a in my Q&A video on my channel this week, and I have, yeah. I would love to do that. Um, so. <laughs> Finding some good questions here. I'm just going to. Yeah, what, what's, are you putting them in the chat here? That's what you said to do. Okay, well, I haven't looked at it. Okay. Um, when can we expect the Shoyles fuzz? Okay, we were just talking about this. We were just talking about this before we went live. I have a great idea for this, but that Zach doesn't like. I don't, yeah, I don't like it. <laughs> Should we not talk about it then? No, totally, let's talk about it. All right, well, let's talk about the fuzz first. So where are we at? Do we, do we want to let people know? Is it a surprise? Because we've been talking about it. We've been planning it, working on it. Yeah, I think, I mean, we are very much in the, the earliest of stages to the point where I haven't even like started drawing a schematic yet, but we have the concept though. We have the basic concept and we know that it, it's going to have some sort of octave mm -hmm. switchable. That's controllable. Yeah. It's switchable on and off. Um, but, and we know it's going to have a fuzz circuit, but I don't know what fuzz circuit we're going to go that's, for yet. That's still up in the air. You want to do silicon transistors. Well, not necessarily. I just don't, I mean, in, when when you say silicon transistors, the the vast majority of fuzz are silicon, but not everything. Like the golden fleece is a silicon transistor, but it has nothing to do with the fuzz. Uh, so like the thing I want to do is not make it with a part that has a finite supply. Mm. Not yeah. to say that I think oh we're going to sell a hundred thousand of these, but it's you shoot yourself in the foot when you get a, a part that's hard to come by or a part you ha literally have to measure every single component, right. which is germanium transistors, you basically have to do that. And I don't want to do that. I want this to be a fuzz for the masses, right? Because there's enough, especially in the fuzz world, there's so many, and, and I have a couple of them, there's so many like cork sniffer sort of just like unobtainable kind of stuff. And um, I think that that whole thing turns some people off to the um, the glory and the wonder uh, that is the world of fuzz. Mm -hmm. And so what I want to do is like let's make a really killer fuzz that is accessible, that is usable, and that will do a wide range of stuff. The octafuzz thing for me is super important. Octafuzz is like my favorite thing, and I think it should be able to go from relatively smooth fuzz face style distortion that is usable for a lot of rigs to pretty gnarly spitty sounds like your amp's going to blow up kind of thing so you want some sort of biasing or voltage control that yeah that 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 shapes overall attack and decay yes okay well i mean there's so many options and that's the thing it's like fuzz is such a deep rabbit hole and I, there's i saw someone in the chat um said germanium or bust um, I, to me, germanium is great and it does have a thing, but you can make a silicon fuzz face sound like a germanium fuzz face with a few right. parts and a few changes. So ultimately I think you have to throw that concept out the window because chances are with most people, if you just sat two pedals in front of them and didn't tell them which is which they couldn't guess. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And there is like a mystique, um, to, you know, the, the original parts and the transistors and all that kind of stuff. But it, it doesn't, like on paper, it really doesn't go beyond just the fact. It's like a collector kind of thing for 
at least from my perspective. Like the fact that you own it, there's a finite number of them. If they're vintage, they're the real thing, blah, blah, blah. And they do have a sound. They do a mm-hmm. thing, but drink. Uh, but they, um, yeah, you can, you can do, you can make a silicon circuit that is more stable, right? That's not sensitive to temperature changes and things like that. That is yeah. more easily manufactured, therefore uh, more accessible in terms of price. Right. And availability. And uh, that's that's what I want to do. Make a fuzz for the people, man. Yeah. And, and you know, I kind of... Oh, the Bernie fuzz. The, the, the Bernie fuzz? The Bernie fuzz. The fuzz for the people, man. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, just have the gloves on the... Yeah, just the... <laughs> <laughs> that would be funny. Um, I uh, I don't think I told you this, but I kind of got, I didn't get into it, but I caught a thread on the gear page about me, um, ab- about Mythos, not about oh. me personally, but about Mythos. And, um, you know, they had a, pic- a gut shot of an old Mjolnir that was all through hole versus oh like one with surface mount. And they were like, it's just a fact. Through hole components sound better. And I was like, hold on, pump, oh pump the brakes. And so I kind of broke it down. And it's funny, like I expected. Did you go on and respond to that? Yeah, yeah, of course. Oh. So I thought, oh, this is this could go either fine or really bad. And it went fine. I just said, hey guys, you know, like there's so much more to pedal design than this. And and I guarantee that, like I, like I was saying earlier, if I like laid these two down in front of you, you couldn't tell the difference. And just the golden fleece floors me every time I play it compared to like an old one that was through hole that has all the mojo parts. And I've even made golden fleece where I got like fancy fish caps and like put all the stuff right. in it and thought, this is going to sound great. Sounds the same. <laughs> like, you know, so, <laughs> uh, like I, I, I just hope we can, uh, I think the, the, one of the most important things when we're doing this fuzz is to just talk about how it sounds and not, not how it's built. Yeah, that whole discussion is in, is interesting. The through hole versus surface mount. Same thing with like the amps, uh, like hand wired versus. It, now that's slightly different. Hand wired versus PCB. Yeah. In an amps case, um, I think there is oftentimes a tonal difference. It is negligible though. I think when you compare, and I did a video uh, at Righteous a few months ago where we took um, two blackface Princetons, one that was hand wired by a subscriber of the channel, actually Robert. Prince. Oh, that's right. Um, actually he works at vendor and he built that amp and then um the printed circuit board um equivalent of that amp and we even went so far as to use the same speaker and everything we jumped you know one amp into the other uh other's cabinet and everything and there was a slight tonal difference between the two but i think it was somewhat negligible the the difference in that case though with a, the reason i prefer hand wired amps is reliability and serviceability long term um so but with a pedal I, dude there's no there's no difference and we made a video on this like mm-hmm. a year and a half ago yeah it was we one of the first videos the lark. yeah yeah like it's um we literally took two of the same. I think we used Mjolnir's, right, and and put them together. We compared and, like all the Mythos stuff through hole. Yeah, yeah, and it uh, it there was no there's no difference. So nice. Well, all I right. think one last thing is like let's just clarify some of the names that people use because I've heard people call pedals like the old pedals with through hole point to point. Mm. 
It's not what point to point means. Um, and that was, was one of the arguments that this guy made on the gear page. Point to point literally means the components are wrapped, the leads are wrapped around each other and they're soldered. Uh, I, and I would argue that maybe even a terminal strip would call, call, qualify as point to point. But, you know, an eyelet board is, I, I, that's kind of point to point. But when it comes to pedals, there's people doing point to point. There's people doing mm -hmm. uh, eyelet boards, which is like an old Maestro Fuzz Tone had an eyelet board, like a, like a deluxe reverb or vintage mm -hmm. Fender amp. There are terminal strips, like an old box amp. There right. are turret board, like a Marshall amp. And then there's printed circuit boards. And like, you know, the, a lot of people kind of, they, they will die on the hill that they, they have climbed as far as, you know, what they're calling something, even though it's not accurate, accurate to how something's constructed. So, right. Right. Yeah. And that's the thing, man. We all, uh, ignorance is not a bad thing. We're all ignorant of a lot of things. Right. Yeah. Uh, but where it becomes, I think, bad is when you refuse to learn and, and do better. Um, all right, cool. Well, now we've got a good debate going in the chat here, which is great because now people aren't asking questions; they're just arguing over. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I someone said that that Dumble used a um, PCB, and I was like, I, "No, he didn't." <laughs> uh, but then he did, so I was wrong. But that's well, there fine. you go, there you go, Zach. I've so I mean I've only seen inside a few Dumbles, like real ones, and they were all eyelet boards. Uh, so I'm gonna go on the gear page later and trash you, dude. <laughs> This piece Zach of shit Broyles said. doesn't know anything. Don't buy any of his pedals, dude. He's lying. It's all snake oil. <laughs> um, all right. This is a good one. Ambrosia. Does Rhett's haircut affect his tone? Totally. 100%. As my front fro goes, gets thicker as it grows, this thing, uh, I play better. I, I'm I, like Samson. This is my power. Yeah, I think um, for me, it's the arm hair. Right. So you really got to you gotta work on that. Because this can, yeah, I mean, yeah. look, look at this. I know. It yeah, can get got, out of hand. I've got weak-ass arm hair. Look at this. <laughs> I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm a hair. Let's move guy. off this topic before we. <laughs> I, got, I, I got my Ghostbuster watch. Yeah, rock and roll. And That's sick. This thing, I haven't, I haven't worn a watch like this in a long time. One of these with like the metal band, you know? Right. Right and oh my gosh, this pulls so cool. all the hair off of my my wrist. Well, eventually you just got to wear it for another week, and it'll just remove the hair permanently there, and it'll <laughs> yeah. never grow back, and you'll be good. I could just I could just shave it. Yeah, just shave it. It's fine. Swimmer's wrist. <laughs> <Ugh. laughs> um, all right, cool. VT jumper. When does a pedal need presets? I have the Walrus SLO. Can't use different settings when live without fussing with knobs. That's a good question. When does a pedal need presets? What do man, you think? Man, for me, never. No, <laughs> no I, I think the thing that I struggle with with presets um, is the, the function has to fit. Like, the, like I, I think the smaller pedals, like, a, like the Walrus stuff, or even Chase Bliss, there's kind of small... To, and Chase Bliss doesn't really. Do they have presets? I mean, that they have like the favorite. Yeah, but you have to they, use I mean, that other little. Has has two presets. Yeah, but like sometimes it's kind of cumbersome to navigate really small pedals. So I feel like mm -hmm. I th honestly I think the first thing 
when, when it's when it comes to like um if you were going to design something or purchase something that has presets like how easy easy is it to navigate both with like the controls of the pedal but also your feet right so right. i think the layout's enough. important for sure the layout's important i think yeah. um there's a lot of pedals out there like okay so strymon pedals for example the big strymon pedals they need presets in fact that's like a big selling point of why you would buy something like that is you you have a need for the presets that's why i went with the big three strymon was because i i needed the ability to be able to bank through and like save and be able to control with midi changes and everything and like hit one button and have three settings change and, and all that kind of stuff um but i think that's important for a live board if you're going for that kind of sound right but for a smaller pedal um you know the layout yeah I, I don't like having to do the the weird menu diving you have to do with some pedals where it's like okay to access the presets you have to hold this button down then twist this knob and then the different color will tell you what preset it is like ah that's that's a little much for me things like the chase bliss mood though having two preset slots are really cool because with that pedal it's such a unique like sound design kind of it's kind of like a happy accident pedal where you can just stumble into a really cool sound that you might not be able to recall later easily and so having two slots is cool because you're like oh man this is great i want to be able to save this i'm going to put it in slot a and then slot b and then their preset switch is just literally a toggle switch so right. middle is no preset left is preset a right is preset b that's great um yeah yeah i i've never i don't think i've ever had a well let's hold on <laughs> i i've never had a modern or more recent pedal that had presets i mean i, I had a dl4 Mm -hmm. But that, I mean, that you can save like where your knobs were, I guess, on the right. the three foot switches. But like that was it. Uh, I, I've never, I've never owned like a big Strymon or uh, I've never owned a Chase Bliss pedal. Um, yeah, I mean the the Helix or the HX Stomp. That's, I mean, I mean that is the king of all preset pedals. Yeah, but like a more traditional, you know, single effect sort of preset thing. I've never, I've never owned one. So, and cause it just doesn't appeal to me. I, you know, I, yeah. I just don't need it personally. And I think too, things like overdrives, uh, that's not something I could see a preset. I think it's for me more time-based effects, reverbs, delays, because like I want to be able to have, so on my, on my big sky, for example, my reverb, I have just, I primarily use two banks, bank one, and bank two and i have just a few like meat and potatoes reverbs i have a short room i have a, a good plate i have a good amp spring i have a long room i have a super long ambient like cave delay and then i have a uh, a character sorry not delay reverb and then i have a character reverb that's like part of their kind of shimmer thing and so at any time i can quickly just go okay i want a spring here bam mm -hmm. okay i want a plate here bam um yeah, yeah, that's, that's what I like about it. Yeah, because I've always used analog delays. Um, apart from when I when I had the DL4, that was back when I was in a, a hipster. Um, we wanted to be the Mars Volta kind of band, <laughs> right? Um, but I, I, uh, you know, if I needed a slap sound, I just you know like get the knob with my shoe and go, okay, shorten the time, like move it. Right. I just move everything with my toes. Um, the, even on stage, something you know. I knew kind of approximately where to point the knobs, but I've never, and even when I've had a tap tempo delay, which I have owned mm -hmm. them, mm -hmm. um, I was always playing with just a band that never played to a click. 
or anything. So the tap was kind of right. after like the first verse, the tap was moot. Like it was out of time. But I actually think that's cool though. I, I don't like it when people dial in their delay time. I used to see this all the time in the church world. Like all the worship, all the worship bros would like, you know, we'd be at rehearsal or something and they'd like call the MD like, Hey, what's the BPM? And then they dial in their delay to the BPM. And to me, that doesn't work because if you're using like a, an eighth note or a dotted eighth delay, and you're completely locked on the grid, your delay repeats are falling in a perfect world. They're falling like right on the grid. And if you're using tracks and things like that, which they always are, they're using a ton of like, you know, they're using so many tracks that half the time it's like, why are we even having a band on stage? Anyway, that's a, right. that's a hot take we can go to later. Um, yeah, we need to do that. Yeah. So my thing was always like, just tap it in because having your you're never going to get it directly on time and that slight one or two bpm sway one way or another helps your delay repeats actually stand out a little more and be heard which is cool and it doesn't sound out of time uh, because by the time the delay the delay repeats decay there hasn't been enough time for it to get out of sync you know yeah yeah totally yeah people are saying the big big three strymons are overrated i like them (laughs) I think they're good. I've I've gotten a lot of good use out of them. I mean, as far as function goes, it's kind of hard to beat what those pedals offer. But I will say that I compared when I when I worked at Carter, Drake, um, Drake. Um, <laughs> we would compare like the single, like the 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 big sky versus the blue sky, and I do feel like the smaller pedals have a better fidelity. I do think they sound. That's interesting. Like in the Brigadier versus like the tape presets on um the, the whatever the timeline like i yeah. i think they actually sound better on the smaller units but you're limited to what that pedal can do so but yeah. i mean your mileage may vary and, and when you're playing live you're never going to notice it anyway so right yeah again man yeah the thing i like about the strymons too analog dry through uh, yeah. which even tide stuff doesn't do does source audio have analog dry through like the nemesis and ventress those are two really great pedals i have no idea i don't know if they're analog dry through though um for me man the big three strymon that was the big thing when jay when like people were roasting my rig on jhs people were making fun of me for having the big three strymon i get it right it's a cliche it's a stereotype but here's the deal those three pedals got me and and got me through a lot of gigs and a lot of sessions yeah and and those three pedals did me right they never failed they were always reliable they always sounded great and i could always get a really good sound out of them when i needed it and that helped me work it helped me keep gigs yeah you can shit on you can shit on the stuff you if you want to shit on it but i got really good results out of it and uh i'll stand by them that's all that matters we always called them the holy trinity yeah because so. of the the worship bros <laughs> that's it maybe <laughs> uh so let's see uh what's next uh i play bass um said mythos what do you feel about the extended range guitars would you ever Play one. Zach mentioned he wanted to get a metal guitar. What's more metal than extended range? What do you think about extended range guitars? Me? Yeah, what do you think? I want an Abasi Concepts 7-string really bad. Um, the I forget the model name. Uh, I play, Rick has one that I played. It's the, uh, it's like his, it's not the Tele version. It's the, uh, I guess like their main has the EMGs in it. Mm-hmm. Band fret. And... On paper, if you know anything about me, you would look at that guitar and think, oh, Retschel would never, ever want a guitar like this. Um, it's fantastic. I played Rick's. 
ergonomically, it is probably the most comfortable guitar I've ever played. Right. I mean, it just sits perfectly. The uh, the Lorada. Yep, Lorada. Okay. Yeah. yeah, the Lorada seven string. I want one real bad. After we buy a house, I think I'm going to buy one. Um, <laughs> last time I talked to, to Tosin, he said they're out of stock like everywhere, and he doesn't know when they're going to get back in, but I'm going to want to buy one man so i i ended up getting that strime uh, strime gosh that Schechter marrow guitar uh, yeah and it's stuck in minnesota because of the snow i guess so poor thing's been sitting in nine degree weather for it's gonna be great it's gonna be perfect you pull it out of the it's gonna go from nine degrees to 72 <laughs> degrees like that <laughs> <laughs> but um i was looking at some it was like a it was an ltd uh fan fret but I've never, I personally, I can't get my hand around, and I mean this like physically, uh, around a seven-string neck. It's too big. Um, I don't know that you're supposed to, though. Well, but I, but I, can't, I can't play it because I don't have the range of motion for my wrist to do this and like play. But shouldn't the fan fret help you with that? Well, the fan fret does, but if, if we were just talking about like a seven-string, like a real extended like just, range, oh, right. um, then I can't, I can't really do it because... Um, I think we should clarify what fan fret is because I right. think it's very confusing. Fan fret is also called multi-scale, and what, what it literally means is the lower strings are at a different scale length to the top strings, and it just helps with the tension of the strings so you can tune lower and, and have the correct tension for heavier gauge strings and lower tunings. Yeah, and and it is ergonomically better because if you think about it, like your your wrist angle changes as you're as you go down towards the nut like the angle of your hand changes not for me and so the angle of and well yeah for normal for people Zach. for this is very ableist of me I guess <laughs> but um yeah it's as you play you go up the neck the wrist angle changes and the part of the idea is ergonomically it's supposed to fall more in line with where your wrist naturally plays for all the sweet um sweep picking that i'm going to be doing <sighs> on the Lorada man um, I, I part of me I just want to buy that guitar and just play like Creedence Clearwater revival <laughs> songs <laughs> run through just play the Green jump, River da, 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 da. <laughs> yeah. um, just completely ignore the seventh the low B string the whole time just take it play. off just take it off <laughs> hey man Keith Richards this, did it Keith Richards the seventh string. yeah make it a six yeah come on Keith man that's what he did drink <clears throat> I uh yeah, I don't know. I, the, the Abbasi stuff is really interesting. I'd like to to play it, but I uh, it honestly they're really really good, man. I um they're really good. They're beautifully made. Um, yeah, they're they're cool. I, I like them. I'm a fan. Uh, somebody had a good question about the. Uh, I don't know if you want to answer this, but the business of the pedals, basically talking about talking about the oh Jesus Christ, talking about the delay pedal, mm. the Oracle. This is a fascinating question because I don't see a lot of pedal manufacturers talking about the actual business side and you don't have to give numbers in, in terms of all like you know what you make and all that kind of stuff but it would be cool i think um to talk about you know development costs and and why pedals cost what they do because there are some people out there that i think look at a two or three hundred dollar pedal and think oh my god what a waste of money there's no way you know but there's more to it than that yeah so the so he's, he's, he's design, cost, dealers, et cetera. So just the, the, the business side of creating something like that. So as the, using the Oracle as an example, um, you have to start with a concept. And that's, I mean, obviously. But then you have to decide if 
you're going to be able to actualize it yourself. You're going to have to hire somebody. And if you have to hire somebody, that's a really deep rabbit hole. And the amount of money you can pay to develop something can range from a couple hundred dollars to a few thousand dollars just for a design and maybe one prototype. Okay. Um, which is, you know, it's a lot for people to sink, especially when you're at the smaller scale end of things. After you develop a prototype, you start tweaking, and that can take a lot of time. These things take sometimes years. I've been working on a delay pedal for, I guess, two years now. Mm-hmm. And I had one design. It was cool, but it wasn't right. And I gave up on it. And I think all in, I spent over three grand just on development. And then I, I was I was literally about to to send it into production. I had the circuit boards. I have all the parts. I have all this stuff to start building these old pedals, or I had most of them. Uh, and I, I said, this isn't right. I, I can't do it. And I, I just shelved it. Uh, and yeah. had to eat it. And I, luckily, I could recoup some of my costs by selling the parts that were useful to other people. But otherwise, you know, I, I can't get my money back for my circuit boards or all the resistors and caps. Like, no one's going to buy those. Right. So they're just sitting in a box. I started over and then, you know, a different designer. And it's taken about a year almost, I'd say, okay. to really lock this in. Right. And. I feel like I'm getting off off topic a little bit, but you know, I've spent a couple grand again just to develop it and get it ready for the market. And the thing that people don't realize when it comes to the cost of something. So, you know, setting, you know, let's say you have a pedal that you're marketing for 200 bucks and it may cost a fraction of that to make it, but you're paying, you're repaying yourself for that development. You're mm-hmm. paying for the, inventory that's the biggest thing i think the thing that people don't don't realize is even though a single unit may cost just a fraction of what you're selling it for and they do you know everything does right um you have to like buy hundreds sometimes thousands of pieces that go into these well like those knobs you bought a couple weeks ago yeah i bought how many a thousand knobs a thousand knobs yeah yeah like like two bucks a piece or something like that yeah it was it was close to that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it's just to have them and you know and so like yeah. it, that's that's what these these are the things you have to to eat uh yeah. until you know you can recoup all that cost so that's the biggest part of where it comes from and, and most people you know if you're a small person wanting to get into building pedals you're not gonna take on that much debt or responsibility at first i mean some people do but if you're just doing it yourself, you know, it's kind of a slow burn. But when you want to try to release something big and do it in any sort of volume, it, it takes a lot of bread to, you know, yeah. to get it moving. So there's a lot of upfront development costs that need to be covered. Um, and then there's also, you know, you use dealers. Some other people go direct. Yes. Some companies do a combination of the two. So you're also working with dealers, right? Like, you're selling it to them at a specific cost. Yes. And then the dealer needs to make a little money on it too, right? Because they're essentially acting as the supplier to the customer, the middleman, if you will. And um, yeah, I mean, this this stuff is, uh, well, it's like any other, any other commodity, really. You've got yeah. development costs, you've got storage costs, manufacturing costs, shipping costs. Somebody asked in the chat too, it's a good question, did any of the mythos stuff has have to go through FCC certification. No, um, I don't, 
I don't believe so. Um, it depends <laughs> on the type, mostly on digital effects. You, you need to get it FCC certified. Um, I don't think that anything in, in the current the version of the, I bet the old Oracle would have probably have suppose it would suppose it would it should have been, um, right? But I don't think that the current thing has to. Um, yeah, and, yeah. And, and 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 that's the thing too. Like, man, like if you do have to get those things certified, it's not you know it's a thousand bucks or something, but it's 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 another thing you have to pay out of pocket for, and it's for you know for just a little you know sticker on the bottom of the right the right. Metal. Yeah, nice. So there you go, everyone. That's why some pedals can be more expensive than others. Um, Edwards in the chat asks, who are today's guitar heroes? It's a great question. Um, um, all right, well, I think it's different now. Yes. I think I think the days of, like, the rock star pop culture guitar hero are pretty much behind us. The one that comes to mind is, is John Mayer. He's, I think, yeah, maybe the last real last one that's not over 60 or 70 years old you know right yeah um and so now what we have are more uh, more niche guitar heroes people that came up on the internet so you think tosin abasi you think um you know a lot of the progressive players that that are really really popular right now but the idea is like how do you define guitar hero I, I don't. I don't really think there's another Eddie Van Halen out there right now, or Hendrix. Yeah, uh, Edwards four seven three said Jack White. You know Jack White, um, Dan Arbach. You know these guys, but but I don't know. And, and we got an email from um, Randall Gerald, who kind of was was gave us a talking point. It's, it's a great idea, and it ties into this that. You know the shift from rock stars being the heroes and and the the people that carry the flag of guitar has shifted in a lot of ways to YouTubers and Instagrammers and the people that are in your face every day pushing this instrument and their their love and you know b- building the community up in that way and I think that's that's a really interesting idea that. We've seen a shift go from, I mean, not that the heroes of yesteryear were ever going to go away, but like, right. because there is a, a little bit of a gap in the guitar world, as far as guitar heroes on the radio and TV, we have it in a different place. And that's, you know, YouTube and yeah. Instagram. Yeah. Well, I would also, I'd probably put like Gary Clark Jr. in that list, right? Gary, Gary is bridging that gap. So it's, it's, I think the definition of guitar hero is changing because if you think about traditional guitar hero like we were just talking about i think of someone that is a pop culture a-list celebrity who is known as being a guitar player and people who are not guitar players know this person and follow this person so that is traditionally eddie van halen that is Jimi hendrix that is eric clapton that is you know um billy gibbons that is you know these these icons of of yesteryear the reality is pop culture for all intents and purposes, doesn't really care about guitar. Yeah. At least, well, not anymore, and and maybe not ever again, which I actually don't think is a bad thing, personally. Right. Um. So, yeah, the definition of a modern guitar hero is like, hey, who's influencing people and in, in playing, you know, guitar? A lot of the progressive 
players, right? And, right. and a lot of the, there's still a lot of players that have been around since the 70s and 80s that are doing that today. I think of like Steve Lukather, for example. Um, right. You know, a, a lot of those guys are still killing it. People are saying Tom Bukovac in the chat. Yeah. So Bukovac is an interesting case because for all intense purposes, he's not a guitar hero because most people don't know about Bukovac, even though he has most people who have listened to country and pop country radio in the, over the last 20 years have heard Bukovac thousands and thousands of times on records. They didn't know who he was. Same thing with Tim Pierce, right? Right. Yeah. Tim Pierce arguably should be a guitar hero because of all the stuff he played on uh, and that people, you know, huge pop popular songs over the years, but people don't know who Tim Pierce is until now because of YouTube. Yeah. Now people are starting to get hip to Bukovac. People have been hipped to Tim Pierce for years, and these guys are now starting to get the recognition that they deserve um, because of YouTube. Right, yeah, and it. I think the modern-day definition of guitar hero is just someone who inspires people to play in a serious way, and, and, and less of, like you said, yeah, they're not, the general public doesn't know who Joey Landreth is, but right. Joey Landreth is... 100% a guitar hero to a lot of people. And a lot of people have picked up the instrument or, or tried to learn a different style because um, they found Joey. So Yeah, 100%, man. Joey's my hero. I, man, I, I love Joey. I feel like such a, a goober because, like, <laughs> I love Joey. Like, we're, we're really close friends. Like, he and I, I talk about this on my live streams a bunch. Like, he, like people, I think they think we're just, like, business friends or something probably like they think you and i were, we're genuinely friends right and um i i feel really lucky to have someone who i'm so close with who also is such an inspiration on the instrument because every time he sits down and just plays and we're just like talking it kind of pulls me out of the fact that we're close friends and i hear him play guitar and i'm like wow wow <laughs> <laughs> you know it's it's yeah. silly and he you could not ask for a more kind or humble human being than joey landry right. like when you he yeah it's that's what's great about him is he is a titan of a guitar player and but when you just hang out and talk with him he's just a dude he's just like a he's just a guy he hangs out he's real cool he's real laid back he's funny oh he's so funny he's a he yeah, yeah great guy he they're doing they're they're working on the bros ep3 nice um, and he's I, over the past year or so he's really dove into synths um Ooh. and and keyboards and organs and stuff and he told me one time this was a few months ago but he said he hadn't played guitar in weeks and weeks he'd only been playing his his organ rad so i can't wait to hear what that's gonna sound like oh dude it's gonna be some good stuff all right let's take uh let's take one more question here and then we'll get to our shill of the week what do you got you got anything mm. Mm. <laughs> nope i don't uh great um, oh, this is a good one. Kalki Das, what keeps you motivated uh, on improving and learning guitar? Anything? Uh, for me, just honestly, I, I try my best to take a step back from guitar music um, because it's it's exhausting to me. Like I, I love all those, we were talking about like current modern day guitar heroes who just like are the most amazing players, but you can only listen to so much of that in my opinion. So what I like to do is step away from that. Don't listen to that. And then 
dive back into it and I find new inspiration because my ears have kind of like reset. And that's, I think that's why I've wanted to get into more of this like heavy thing lately is because I've been enjoying that and it excites me. So I think yeah. trying to find something that excites you and then diving into that realm. And I don't think it necessarily takes my level of insanity of like buying another guitar, but you just have to find things that, that keep you motivated and give yourself breaks because it's so hard to yeah. just like keep punching through all the practice routines and all the stuff and expect something, expect to get to the next level. Yeah. And that's the thing about practicing too. It's like, as you progress and grow and get to a point, like so much of this is ingrained in muscle memory and you can take a you can take a break and you'll be rusty, right? You're not going to like come back to it and just instantly be as good as you were, but you're not you're not going to lose everything either. You'll be able to come back to the guitar. Like Joey not touching his guitar for a few weeks, like when he gets back on it, he'll be a little rusty around the edges. We may not even be able to notice. He'll notice. Right. Um but it'll it'll come back and he will probably this is what I've experienced after taking a few days off. Even when you come back, you're playing new ideas and because you've kind of had time to just drop a lot of the same licks and just rep, rep, uh, rep, repetition God. out of your head. And so you're kind of coming at it with a fresh perspective. You know? Totally. I, I've been trying, uh, I don't want to get anybody's hopes up, but I've been trying to record little pieces of music every, every week. Just like, just, just, just an idea, like get an idea down and just to keep the, you know, keep the wheels turning. And usually the first thing I do is pick up my bass. Mm, yep. And I, I find that starting with the bass actually, because it, it, for me, I'm not, I'm not great at it, but because I'm not great at it, it helps me come up with something different and interesting. And that kind of determines where my guitar playing goes for any piece of music that I'm trying to come up with. And right. having a different instrument sometimes can be huge. We have a little ukulele, and when I play that, I actually like tune it and bust out a little chord chart and start playing that. It's like, oh, this is fun, and this kind of is taking my brain somewhere else too. Yeah, for me, it's my resonator, my mule. Right. That that thing is an inspiration machine. I, God, I love that guitar so much. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I guess for me, it's a combination of things. One, it's playing. But it's playing along with songs that don't heavily feature guitar and like trying to fit in. So yeah. like before we went live, I was messing around with um, Ophelia by the band. Mm -hmm. Great song. Ophelia, what did you wrong? Um, and that's a fun like jam. And there's definitely guitar on that song, but it's not like a guitar focused kind of song. Right. So being able to play along with that and play musically, like find a part as you're playing along that fits in with what's going on. That's fun and inspiring to me. Then the other thing is doing something completely different, which is going to be, I guess we can get into shill of the week here. Um, my shill of the week is my modular rig that I'm building. Let me just take a picture. Oh, yeah. Chat. Uh, boy, I've started making a, my first few patches on this thing. Uh-huh. And I am, I am hooked. So I am on the modular train. Hold on. Yeah, I can hear you. you okay, so I have a question about the modular synth thing because to me, it seems very much like an old synthesizer with, it looks like a switchboard <laughs> for a telephone right. operator. Can, when you say making a patch, does is there a way to save all this stuff or do you have to like take a picture of it? No. Okay. And and the reality is even if you took a picture you of it, get it, you could get it back. I mean, people do recall stuff, but that's to me... 
and look, I am uh, I'm very very new to the modular world. Okay, so if anybody out there is like a modular, a seasoned modular Eurorack Pro, please <laughs> um, forgive my um my ignorance here. But to me, um, part of the beauty of that is that it's it's finite. So you make a patch, you make a sound, and it's happening in that moment. And then when you take that patch apart probably not going to depending on how complex the patch was probably not ever going to get it back yeah um so i've been recording you can see in the picture i've got my h6 there mm-hmm. um and so i'm just recording every time i come up with a cool patch i just record it onto an sd card so i have it um but yeah i have i have really 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 fallen in love with this thing um so my setup is pretty basic right now it's based around a moog um, subharmonicon, which is that big unit in the bottom left-hand side of the rack. Uh-huh. Um, and that is that is a synth on its own, meaning it, it can function as a synth without needing any of the other gear. A big part of modular is you're buying these units that on their own can't really function. Right. Um, so, for instance, the, the unit next to the Moog, that silver quad VCA right there, that actually doesn't make any sound on its own. It is essentially a mixer and a voltage controller, and you can do all kinds of things with it. Same thing with the unit in the top right. That's the maths from Make Noise. Um, that is a function generator. It does not make noise on its own. But when patched in with other synth voices and other elements, you can use it to modulate things. You can use it to change things. You can use it to trigger events. <laughs> you can use it to do all kinds of stuff. Um, and then in the bottom right, I have the Strymon Magneto which is the their delay unit. It's essentially like it's based off of their D-tape algorithm and like the timeline and everything, but with a ton of functionality, all those jacks around the edges are inputs and outputs to let you control things, to clock things, to modulate things. Yeah. It has a sound on sound looper in there and you can have it start and stop using other, I mean, it's, it's wild. Um, and then I'm going out of the, modular case stereo into the night sky which has been amazing um (laughs) so in my night sky review i was kind of hard on it because i was like "Uh, this isn't really for guitar players but if you're using it in something like this setup it's amazing right it's fantastic yeah the um that's that's crazy so crazy like i mean i yeah i understand like the basics of how this all works but at the same time i don't (laughs) Yeah, I don't. I don't understand a lot either. Like, I'm still learning a lot of the stuff. Because I, I, I do have some friends that make some modular stuff. Adventure Audio makes some things. You should, we should connect you with those guys. Um, but it's that'd be cool. It like, man, it trips me up. But yeah, that's that's a cool that's a cool shill of the week right there. <laughs> if uh, if anyone's interested, Andrew Huang does a really great. He has a few videos on modular synthesis, and one that he did last year was like an introduction to modular. Mm-hmm. And it's really, really great for just kind of introducing you to the very basic concepts. Essentially, it's all about waves. Waves, right. Insert that um, aliens gif or meme Mm -hmm. in there. Um, Just it's understanding really, I think, two basic things. Waves, like wave shapes and things, and control voltage. So CV is like the basis of modular synthesis because that's what you're using to control other things you can send cv signals and create lfos and and gates and triggers and all kinds of stuff and that's how you create a patch that 
essentially plays itself. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so anyways. My show of the week is way less exciting <laughs> than yours. So mine is Deoxit, D5. Yeah. So yeah. I get asked fairly regularly, now that, now that I've been building pedals for a few years and there have been some out in the world for a while, uh, people say, hey, my foot switch is sometimes sticks or hey, like this is sounding like this or hey, this is scratchy or whatever. And I tell people to buy some of this. This is the D5, which is the um, electronic cleaner. And yep. what this does, it just, you spray it. Uh, do not get it in your eyes or in your in your mouth or anything. Um, you spray it on uh, on a foot switch. Let's let's grab, show us. Hey, but a little bit in your coffee will S- go a little, little ways. A little sneaky peeky here on this gold, Kinda. gold Mjolnir. Don't put it in your coffee. That was a joke. Don't, do not put deoxid in your coffee. See that little, uh, that little groove yeah. in that foot switch? If you spray this in that spot... Get you a little squirt. And then it will help clear out all the gunk. So this is one of those things. It's like, I think every guitarist needs this, at least at home, in your your toolbox. Same thing with input and output jacks. Oh, yeah. If you've got a a jack that's a little crackly, spray just a quick spritz in there and then get your your plug and just plug in and out a bunch of times. Um, Stuff works wonders, man. Sometimes it... It it, it it doesn't do enough to get real like serious um, gunk off a jack, but it does help. And and cleaning out pots, uh, the beauty of deoxit is you can you can disassemble, you know, a pedal or you know take a guitar out or you know take all the controls out and clean it. But uh, even with like a guitar knob, you can pull the knob off and spray it around the shaft of the of the the potentiometer and it'll get down in there and you can clean it. It's better to, to open everything up and get it, you know, right inside the casing, but it's a must have uh, De- deoxid D five electrical electrical connection cleaner. Um, and it's a good preventative thing too. If yeah. you, um, just every, every few months or whatever, just go in there, get your squirt. And you know, what's also crazy is cleaned out. I, when I bought my deluxe reverb, it was covered in stickers and yeah. I was like, ah, that's annoying. But they were like the papery stickers. They weren't. They weren't like a glossy vinyl sticker. They were, you know, it's cheap sticker. And when I was cleaning all the pots out with this, some got on the the faceplate, right? And it's just ate the sticker residue right off. So, <laughs> you know, happy accident. Nice. A squirt every few months keeps the gas at bay. Beto says in the ch- in the chat there. Yep. Uh, yeah. But one thing too, As be extra careful because like I've seen people like 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 this on a pedal, like with their face down by it, and they spray this, yeah. and it just goes all up. Yeah, and it's it does. Nasty. Yeah, you do not want that on or in your body. No. But you do want it in your pots. That's right. Put it in your pots, people. That's where you want it. Your jacks, your pots, your switches. Spritz those pots, baby. I, I did my whole patch bay like six months ago. I just went through. It took like 20 minutes, but I went through every single patch point and just and went in there and cleaned it out. It's great. All right, everyone. Well, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Dipped in Tone. I've got to go because... You got people waiting on here. you. I got people waiting. So you guys have been great. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for watching. Subscribe. Get us over 5,000 subs. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Um, and to everyone who's been participating in the drinking game, congratulations. Um, you're either jacked up on coffee or I'd say medium buzz. Yeah. By the end of this episode. Yeah, th- this this one. Yeah. 
Some of our yeah, previous episodes, I feel like I was censoring myself a little bit. Hammered drunk. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Some of the previous ones, you would have been like, you know, call the doctor. Thank goodness for quarantine and working at home. Hey, buddy. All right. Goodbye. Y'all been great. See y'all. Drink. Bye-bye. Bye.